We are uh, in the in uh, the beginnings. I was going to say middle, but that's not even close to being true. We are uh, at the beginning of First Corinthians, and uh, we are in chapter two. Uh, we're going to be in chapter two, verse six to sixteen. Uh, I won't name names, but somebody was mentioning on a call to Baghdad that uh, they're like, how's it going? And they're like, oh, it's great. Um, if you want to come back and, and help us, because we haven't made it out of chapter one of First Corinthians, um, it'd be great. Um, it's true. Uh, we're in chapter two, so success. Um, so we're going to work our way through this. Uh, we're just going to take our time through Corinthians, and uh, I- I'm just excited for, for Paul's words this morning. Um, specifically, uh, I feel like um, this is kind of some words he's been speaking to me uh, as we work through this. So um, do me a favor. Um, let me grab my iPad. That would be good. It's been that kind of morning. Notes would be great. Uh, Chapter six, or I'm sorry, chapter two, verse six, verses six to sixteen, is all about. See how it's going to go today. You're welcome. Uh, is all about this idea of hearing from the, the hearing from the Spirit and, and, and actually hearing what God has to say. And so, if you get nothing else, the main thing this morning is this: you, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you have Christ in your life, that Jesus, if you have Christ in you, you have full access to God's wisdom through his spirit. And we're going to kind of unpack that throughout the morning as we kind of dive into Corinthians. But if you are a follower of Christ, you have full access to God's wisdom, which is crazy to think about, through his spirit. And so we're going to dive into three big sections this morning. First off, we're going to talk about what is wisdom. I think we need to start there um, because Paul just spent the first chapter telling us how foolish wisdom is and that we don't need wisdom. And then he's going to change on us and he's going to say, oh wait, I was kidding. You do need this kind of wisdom. Okay. So we're going to define that. What on earth is this wisdom he's talking about? And then we're going to talk second part. How do we get it? And then last but not least, we're going to end this with why should I care? Okay. Um, so that's where we're heading this morning. One, what is wisdom? How do I get it? And then lastly, why does it matter? Explain to me why this is so important. So we're going to start with first defining what wisdom is because Paul, God himself, I believe, wants you to know that his wisdom is available to us And it must be pursued and sought out because God is a relational God and not just a transactional God. God is highly, highly relational and not okay with just being a transactional God who just gives us what we want. We're going to come to that later. But you, as a believer, hopefully this morning, if you put your faith into Christ, have that ability to have that wisdom in him. So we begin in verse uh, 2, or chapter 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature, he says... We do impart wisdom. So if he talked about all the things we don't do in the beginning, if we don't want that kind of wisdom, and yet he says now we're going to impart this wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See? Here's a beautiful thing this morning. Last week, if you weren't here, uh, we busted out the whiteboard. We, we do this occasionally. And uh, what happened last week is we said that there is a, a box that you are in. And I'm going to make sure I... Can everybody see that okay? A lot of you guys are like, nope. Okay. So we, we had this box last week, and we said that that box represents Christ, right? And we said that Jesus is representative here, and that we, who are followers of Christ, we are then put in this box, okay? 
So you, I, are placed into Christ, and that is our position in him. And we said in this box that we have a couple things. There's an R. He says we have reconciliation. Um, he says we have redemption earlier. And basically he says that there is a sanctification as well. I'm going to try and spell that saying we get better. Okay. Christ makes us better. And so the sanctification, this redemption, this rescue that is put in this box, he says, last but not least, then we had this word at the top, and we said that word at the top was wisdom. And we didn't spend much time on it because I knew we were heading into chapter 2. But Paul, is, or Paul and God are going to tell us, what does this wisdom mean? Well, what do we mean when we say we get wisdom? And we're going to unpack that this morning because it is true that when you are in Christ, you get to have the wisdom of God himself. So let's kind of unpack what that is. James chapter 3 is probably one of the best places you can go to kind of hear explained what this difference between earthly wisdom is and what the spiritual wisdom is. So let's go to James chapter 3, beginning in 13 and 14. He says this in 13. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have it in front of you. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So he says, first thing is, he says, there's a wisdom that's out there. And he says, who is wise? Who is godly wisdom? And he says, let it be shown through their conduct. So the first thing we see is wisdom will be seen in our conduct. And you've probably seen this in people's lives. There are people who are not the wisest people that you hang out with, especially if you're in high school. It happens all the time. You're with, you hang out with these friends and you're like, they're not the wisest guys to hang out with because if you've seen what we do on the weekends, it's not really smart. But, but you see it all the time when wisdom comes into play. It's always played out in our conduct. Paul, James is saying the same thing. James is saying that this wisdom will be seen in our conduct. And then he says, the wrong kind of wisdom will also be seen. And this wrong kind of wisdom will be seen in two primary ways. One is bitter jealousy and the other is selfish ambition. He says, if you want to know the difference between what is godly wisdom, wisdom that is pursued, and that is er- and that, that is earthly wisdom, or that's just human wisdom, he says, you'll be able to define, you'll be able to see it by its conduct and you'll be able to tell the bad one by the bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that wisdom will take. These will be the people that make decisions based on what is best for them and their portfolio. It'll be the ones that that basically ridicule those that don't go with their wisdom. They believe that their wisdom is the best. And so it's this kind of unhealthy kind of wisdom he displays here. He goes on and he starts to explain this unhealthy wisdom in, in 15 to 17. So he says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly this wisdom is earthly. It is unspiritual. He even goes to far as, to, as far as to say it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So one kind of wisdom, the earthly wisdom, he says, is a triad of these earthly things. It is earthly, it is unspiritual, and even goes so far as to say it's, it's demonic. It's, it's, it, at its base level, 
This wisdom can come from Satan himself, and it can cause us to kind of believe some things that aren't true. And so you could see, and you've seen this in history. You've seen it in governments. You've seen it in leaders in governments who have had wise counsel around them and have made the most horrific decisions based off of that, quote, wise counsel. You've seen it in politics. You've seen it in leadership. You've seen it in your, possibly maybe in your own home where, where they've received wisdom, And that wisdom was not the best wisely godly wisdom. And they made decisions and choices in that wisdom in your home that affected you. And he says this wisdom that is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic, is the wisdom that Paul puts down in chapter 1. That's the kind of wisdom he says we want to stay away from. But he says instead there's a godly wisdom. And this godly wisdom then is displayed in this other huge list of adjectives. He says it is pure, it is peaceable, it is gentle, it is open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. He says if you get this kind of wisdom and this kind of conduct, it will change everything. And he says we should be about pursuing this kind of wisdom and not the earthly kind of wisdom. Because earthly wisdom may probably be best defined, simply defined as wisdom that cuts God out of the decision-making process. Does that make sense? So earthly wisdom is basically this wisdom that says, I've cut God completely out of this. He has nothing to say about this decision. And, and while we may kind of be in church, and, and you may have grown up in church for a while, and you're kind of like, yeah, that's, that's true, that's right, that's, that's what I believe. Don't, don't get too far ahead of ourselves, because even those who follow Christ— Can we just be honest? There are many decisions that you make in a given week that God is not part of those decisions, right? And and, and they may be really easy decisions, like what am I going to have for breakfast? I'm not sure if you're going to be like, God, please help me today. I don't know if it's toast or bagel, so you just need to move, and you just need to, and then, you know, it just wafts its way into your toaster oven or whatever it is. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the wisdom that you make on a regular basis in your parenting, in your job, with your boss, with your friends, with your kids, and that kind of wisdom that we just kind of say, I got this, God. I got this. You're busy. I'll take it from here. I got this. And we impart kind of this earthly wisdom that we don't really go to God with it. And he says, earthly wisdom is probably best defined as wisdom that cuts God out of it completely. And so we want to kind of look at this other one, this one that comes with this peace and gentleness and open to reason. All of these things in that list of peaceable, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, they attack the two basic conducts of wisdom in the earthly dimension. They attack jealousy and selfish ambition. Because disorder of jealousy and selfish ambition ruins the credibility of those who claim to be wise. And sadly, that disorder of jealousy and selfish ambition can ruin the credibility of a church, even in the eyes of our church with God himself, who has called us to this place to follow, to follow him in wisdom. So, all that to say, wisdom is earthly, but it is also the spiritual. We're going to spend a lot of our time in the spiritual this morning. So wisdom, wisdom that the Bible endorses is seen in our actions, and it looks far more like that list on the right than it did the one on the left. And so if your wisdom is producing peace and open to reason and full of mercy and impartial and sincere, you know you're heading in the right direction. But here's, here's the problem that, that comes into this. And the problem is verse 7, because while this wisdom is, is defined, and it's, this is what it looks like, the problem comes in verse 7, and it says this, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, here's, this is crazy. Just, just think about this. 
there's this wisdom he wants you to know. He has this wisdom he wants you to be a part of. And then he goes in the next verse and says, but it's hidden and it's secret and you can't find it easily. And you're like, well, then what gives? Like, I, I thought this was supposed to be like the simple, like God just gives me the right thing to say and the right wisdom to do this thing. He says, no, this is secret and it's hidden. And it was decreed before the ages to come. And here's the crazy part. This wisdom that he wants you to have, this is one of the rare moments in scripture where he says this hidden and secret wisdom is for our glory and not his glory. That's crazy. That's awesome. He says, I want this wisdom. And when you find it, it will be for your reputation and your renown that people will want to seek after you because you are a wise person who follows God. And they want to know what you have to say. He says, this will be for our glory. Collectively, the body of church or Christ, our glory. But he says it's secret and it's hidden. This is actually probably coming out of Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 to 7. He says this, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. He says, if you want it, come get it. If you want it, you got to search for it. And I believe God, like any really good coach, isn't going to let you cut practice, right? Any solid coach is not going to let you just kind of coast your way through, not make it to any practices or any of the two days, and then eventually just be like, you good? You game ready? You all right? Like that just doesn't happen. It's not a smart way to do it. Another thing a good coach is going to do that God does is he doesn't just kind of say, I'll do it for you, right? If we get to the Super Bowl tonight, and uh, we, it starts kicking off, and all of a sudden, like, all the teams are ready, and they're hyped. They're coming out of the tunnels, and they come onto the field, and, and they then go to their sidelines, and the first play is called. It's ready to go. National anthem's been done. Hype is there. What would, it would just be really weird, wouldn't it, if Andy Reid just kind of came out onto the field and be like, let's go, boys. I got this on my back, right? I mean, have we seen Andy Reid? I mean, he's, he's great, but he's just, you know, he's been a, a little while out of the NFL. And so, it, you know, if he just takes the field himself and all the players are like, go get him, coach, it just doesn't make any sense. Instead, he says, I want to train you. I want to work with you. You take the field. You run the plays. You come back to coach for wisdom. The coach isn't on the field running it for you. And God is saying the same thing here. Hey, I am for you. I will give you wisdom, but I am not going to come down and solve all of your issues and all of your problems that you think are bigger and stronger than anybody else's problems. That's not my role. My role is to give you wisdom. Yes, I will be there. Yes, I will help. But at the same time, is a big difference between seeking God and doing the tough work to do there versus just expecting it to happen and just be available whenever we want it to be. It's like, God, I just need wisdom. Boom, there it is. It just, it's hard to imagine that. Instead, he says we are to seek it like silver and search for it as a hidden treasure. And so while we may get weirded out by a God who's asking us to seek or to ask or to spend time, the reality is he is a good God for making us do that. He continues, in verses 8 and 9, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have been not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Paul quotes out of Isaiah, some believe it's Psalms. He's kind of a conglomeration of two. But basically what he says is this wisdom is so beyond us that many, many will miss it. Many will miss it. 
Let me give you an example from Scripture real quick. Jesus himself, right? There's a story of Jesus. He's just had the triumphal entry. He's just come into town riding on a donkey. And after this major event where he could become king, you probably know this story in Mark 11, he is in front of uh, the disciples, and he, they're heading into the temple. And he goes into the temple, and he starts cha- turning over tables and starts whipping people out of the church. And it just becomes a scene, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you could have been king. And now you've made a spectacle of yourself, and you've driven people out of the church. And what does that mean? And, and then the second scene is him. He curses a fig tree. And as he curses the fig tree, people are like, what is happening? And he's showing that he will not be contained to just what these Jews believe they should see him as, but they want him to be... Uh, But he says, I will be king, but I'll come in a different way. And he goes into these three different stories. But at the end of this story in Mark chapter 11, he's confronted with these Pharisees. And as they come to him, they start to challenge his authority. Why did you drive people out of the temple? Why did you curse that fig tree? Who do you think you are is basically what they're saying. By this time, they had arrived in Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking through the temple area. And the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and the other leaders came to him, and they demanded, by whose authority did you drive out the merchants from the temple? Who gave you such authority? Jesus says this, I'll tell, this is so Jesus, this is so good. I'll tell you who gave me authority to do these things if you answer one question. Now, if Jesus comes to you at that point, and you, if, you're, if you're familiar with the Gospels, and he comes to you and says, hey, I'll tell you, but just one question real quick. Run away, because it's not going to go well for you. Like, you just know, like, he's going to own you in this question, and that's what he does here. I got one question. Here's your question, Jesus says. Did John's baptism come from heaven, or was it merely human? Answer me. And he set them up because they can't answer either way. The selfish ambition, they, they can't answer the selfish ambition side and say, well, it came from, 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 uh, from God because then we got to make that John the Baptist was God. It can't be the, the, the jealousy side and we can't go there. And so they're stuck in these, this, this, this position where they can't answer. They said they talked it among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask us why we didn't believe in him. John the Baptist. He says, but if we dare say is merely human, for we can't say that, for they were afraid that the people would start a riot since everyone thought that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, and I don't know how long this went on, we don't know. We have no idea what the answer to that question is. And Jesus' response is beautiful. This is the wisdom. This is awesome. He goes, he goes and Jesus responded, then I won't answer your question either. And he walks off. He drops the mic and walks off. And they're all kind of going like, he was serious. He didn't answer the question. I thought he'd be nice and answer the question. He didn't answer it. Huh. Okay. And he just walks out of the scene. Christ's wisdom on display proved that even the highest church people of that age who should have known, who could have seen the wisdom clearly, had no idea what Jesus was talking about. That wisdom that God has, he says, is heavenly. It is not for all people, and it will be confusing to some. And these high priest people couldn't even find it. And if that's not enough, even Peter, the closest disciple to Jesus, had a hard problem with this heavenly wisdom. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 says this, And Jesus answered Peter, him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Even Peter's explanation of Jesus was built on God's wisdom and not Peter's wisdom. So if there's a heavenly wisdom, we've gotten a long way into this. If if there is a heavenly wisdom and a earthly wisdom, we are to pursue it, then how on earth do we get it? If it's not just the reasoning and rationing that we found in chapter 1, how do we get this wisdom? 
Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. That's an amazing passage. I mean, that, that should be your, your, your theme for this year. It says that he searches even the depths of God himself. So, Holy Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit? Let me just kind of backtrack. I know this may be basic for some, but maybe this is new for others. What do you mean, Holy Spirit? Who is this Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity of God. And so, this Holy Spirit is God himself, okay? He is part of the Trinity. He is a person, which means he has his own will. He has his own mind. He has his own emotion. And so, being his own person in the Trinity, he has also his own role. So, Father God, Jesus Christ, Christ, Holy Spirit, make up what we believe to be the Trinity. And this Holy Spirit is something that Christ gave to the disciples and then fell to the church in Pentecost and then receive, you receive the Holy Spirit when you accept Jesus Christ for the first time. You are, in, you are filled with the Holy Spirit at that point. This Holy Spirit, this will, mind, emotion, not physical form, is part of God, and he is highly relational. We're going to look at that as we wrap up, but he is truly God. He is not just a part of God. He is God. And let me just kind of share what we'd have if we did not have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there's really no new birth. There's no confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no victory over sin. There's no progress in sanctification. There's no spiritual wisdom, no spiritual gifts, and there's no resurrection from the dead. If we don't have the Spirit's work in our life, then the Bible says that there are certain roles he has, and those are some of the ones that come into play when you think of the Holy Spirit. Now, to simplify it, let me kind of just give you four things that... um, the Holy Spirit is, okay? And, and these were off of a podcast I was listening to last week, so this is not mine. I stole it, and I thought it was a really good way of wrapping them into one cute little acronym. But here's, here's what it is. Uh, it is R, which is he does the work of regeneration. He, he takes what is dead and makes it alive. The Holy Spirit's role is, to, is, is when you accept Christ, he takes you from death and puts you into life. There's regeneration from the Holy Spirit. There is illumination and inspiration. He will take the word of God and he will make it make sense to you. And he will, he will also, we believe, that he inspired authors, Paul, James, others, to write down what we have as the inspired word of God. So the Holy Spirit spoke through prophets. He spoke through the, the, the writers of the New Testament, and he will continue to illumine Scripture for us today. The Holy Spirit's role is also to make us more like Christ. His role is, to, is in sanctification. It's this big word of making us better, okay? And so it, he, he part of that, that process. And then the last one is there's empowerment for service, which we get into giftings, which we're not going to get into gifts till fall, um, but we're going to be getting into that later. But the, he empowers you for serving. So if there's kind of four things you would need to know about the Holy Spirit, what he does, I would say these are probably one of the most crucial ones, regeneration, illumination, inspiration, sanctification, empowerment for service. So if that's who he is, we still have yet to answer how on earth do we get it though? How do we understand how we get this, this knowledge of God? So he continues in verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit that that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So the spirit, this is a crazy awesome verse, the spirit does the work of searching the depths of God the Father 
making it make sense, translating from deity into, and I know this sounds weird, but it is so true. He translates from the deity and explains it to us and gives us wisdom to live this life here. He searches God himself and then imparts it to us. I mean, that is crazy, crazy cool. Why does it have to be him? Because God himself is holy and set apart. If you were to enter into his presence, you'd be burnt to a crisp. We've seen it throughout. And there's this, this thing with the holiness of God that is huge and powerful with God the Father. And he is above us, beyond us. And for us to even understand it, we need this helper, this spirit to come and explain these things to us. And that is his role. And so he goes, he searches, and he brings back. I kind of liken it in a crude way to the idea of like an Apple Pay or your debit cards, right? Where there's this huge bank account sitting there representing God himself as this huge bank account that is all this wisdom that is eternally available. And the Holy Spirit is kind of that transaction to get us into that wisdom. And you're kind of like, that's kind of a stretch. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 12 for the, protection of wisdom, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So even Ecclesiastes is going to go to money as a translation, so I'm just going to say it's biblical. So um, as you go into this scenario, he says you can have access to all that God has. And the Holy Spirit goes into the account, draws out the information we need, and allows us to apply it to our lives. Here is the issue, though. We often have the problem because we, we expect it to work much like our debit or credit cards work. You ever been there where it doesn't work? Can I just ask that? Where you're cruising along, things are fine, and then all of a sudden your card doesn't work. They, it, you, they, the nice person behind the counter hands you your card and judgingly says it's been declined. And you're kind of like, oh, I'll try this one. And they're kind of like, okay, we'll try that one. And then that one gets declined. You're kind of like, okay, this never happens. And they're like... Yeah, we've heard that eight times a day. It never happens. Like, we get that. And so you hand him the other card, right? And you're, and you're freaking out. You're embarrassed because this isn't working, and, and they're judging you. And then the person behind you who's waiting for their stuff, they're judging you even more because they're like, could we just pay for you to be done and out of this line, right? And so that kind of process is it's highly transactional. And we can get frustrated when the transaction doesn't work. We can get frustrated when it doesn't work for us. We can get frustrated when it happens for other people. But it's highly transactional. Often, unfortunately, in our faith, we treat this wisdom as the same thing as transactional. I said the prayer. I did the right thing. Therefore, God owes me the explanation. Have you ever been there before? It's very transactional. It's, it's, he's got his role. I do my role. And everything works out just fine. And we treat him like Apple Pay or credit cards because it's a transaction. We do not care how it works. We just want it to work, Right? Many people have even given up on the faith because it's like, I tried that. You ever heard that before? I tried Christianity and it just didn't work. And you're like, okay, I, I hear that, but let me kind of dig deeper into that. There's a little bit more than just it didn't work because ultimately it's about a relationship. It's about a relationship. And so think of it this way. If everything in your life, every relationship in your life was transactional, you wouldn't have many friends, Okay, because the friendship level goes beyond just transaction. And I have to fight that, I feel like, sometimes with my own personality, where there's so many things that I feel like need to get done and have to get done that I'm just like, let's just get it done, let's just go, let's go to the next thing. 
and it becomes very transactional. My phone calls, my texts can be very transactional instead of a relationship that takes time, that takes patience to develop. It's not just as simple as I prayed the prayer once and and God didn't answer the wisdom, right? There's a relationship involved. And that is key to understanding how we get the wisdom because we can't treat him as if he's a transaction and we also can't treat him as if he's just a force and not a person. Does that make sense? So he's not just, it's not a transaction. He's not a force out there to just gain something from. The Holy Spirit is a person who wants to spend time with you. And I know that sounds so out there, but it's so true. And I love that about the God that we serve. He is a highly relational God, and he desires to spend time with us. The problem is we're just so busy, we don't have time to actually dive in and actually listen to him. And so we spend most of our prayers asking for the transaction, asking the force to do something instead of listening to what he's truly wanting us to do. And the solution that Jesus gives us is to know the Father's heart, gain wisdom from the Spirit, and to do it in a personal way. So the how we get it, it is truly a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, my full weight in Christ. And it's a relational time spent asking for the wisdom on a consistent basis with the person of the Holy Spirit. And then we did the last part this morning, and this is it, and this is where we close up. Okay, so I get it. So, okay, so if there's two wisdoms, there's earthly, there's, there's also the, um, the, the heavenly wisdom, and I want the godly wisdom in my life that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us it's through the Holy Spirit who searches the heart of God, who knows the mind of God to give us this wisdom. That happens through time spent with him and not just transaction, but in a relationship with him. So why does that make a difference to my day-to-day life? What, what, what does that do? So let me just kind of end with um, where he ends, and we continue here in 12 through 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are, spirit, they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, though, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, he says, have the mind of Christ. This is important because if you are in Christ... If you have put your faith into him, he has not only rescued you, redeemed you, making you better and sanctifying you, he is giving you wisdom as you are in Christ. And as you are in Christ, the so what is, he will give you the wisdom you need on a regular basis. And it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you uh, possibly just longer periods of time in the word of God, right? It's not just going to be maybe a quick time on the app and then you're like, okay, I got my Bible time in, I'm good. It's going to require actually sitting and listening and asking God to, to speak and asking God for wisdom that he is offering you. It's going to take not only doing it individually, it's going to take it doing corporately. It's going to take you time in your small group to sit together in your community group and say, hey, I got this really big issue coming up. And I don't know how to handle it. Um, I, could, I could probably do this or I could do this. And there's probably three different scenarios that are playing out for me. And you take that to your community group. And we have 
told our community groups again and again and again, and we try and make this a big deal. We don't fix in community groups, which some people, it frustrates them to no end because they're like, I just want it fixed. I just want to know the right thing to do. And we're like, we don't always want to give that because we won't allow time for the spirit to work. And so what we can say in those times is we need the wisdom of God. Let's, let's pray together about what that is. And let's see what God does in the midst of giving us that wisdom. Let's make this relational, not just transactional. And it's worth it. For those who have had those moments where God has communicated clearly to you that wisdom, it is, it is worth it. So in a given week, when we come up against something that we need wisdom on, God says, it's available, and I want to give it to you freely. It's just a matter of seeking it. So when your child, let's give you some examples. So when your child has given you that look for the 10th time that day, and you're about to go Old Testament on them, right? And you're kind of like, God, there's this whole verse in Deuteronomy. I know it's there somewhere that the men of the city shall drag that kid out in front of the elders, and we get to stone him. I'm sure it's in there. I know it's in there. He's been disobedient. I got my stones. Like, you're like, can you imagine that? Like, in the Old Testament, they had, like, bag. Could they? I don't know if they did, but it'd be really weird if, like, there was a bag of rocks at the parents' desk all the day. Like, you going to go at me today? You want to come at me? Let's go, right? That's a whole other story. But there, there are times where we need wisdom when we don't know what to do with our kids, and we're like, I just I don't even know. We need that wisdom. You want to be a good friend to someone at school, but you know it will require losing or distancing yourself from your closer friends. And to those who are in middle school, high school, you know that world well. You need wisdom. You're a junior or senior. You know that feeling and the pressure of college or job field, and you need that wisdom, you're a grandparent and feel it might be not quite your place to say something that you see about the parenting going on underneath you, and you're like, wow, it's not really my place to say. They're not really my kids. And you as a grandparent are wondering what to do. You need wisdom, and God allows that. You may be a single parent and trying to figure out how on earth to raise a kid and get a job and a whole thing, and God is there for wisdom. You're being asked to work way too many hours, and you know that working those hours is causing you to be unhealthy, your family to be unhealthy, your own health is failing, and as a result of working all these hours, you're just trying to figure out what to do, and you need wisdom that isn't just your friend's wisdom of, well, just quit, man, it's cool. Like, you don't need that. You need better wisdom. You need stronger wisdom around you, and God says, I offer that wisdom to you. Here, you are being asked maybe to serve in a new way, right? You're trying to find your place of serving, and you, you're trying to figure that out. You, you need that wisdom. Paul wants you to know this morning that this wisdom is available, but it must be pursued, and it must be spent time asking. And he says, I want you to do it individually, and I also want you to do it corporately with friends because this is a relational God that you serve and not just a transactional God. And so here's my prayer as we finish out this morning. My prayer is that as you come up across these things in your life, you can go back to this verse in verse 11, and whenever you feel like, I don't even know what to do, I've got five different options on the table, I could do any of them, here's my hope. You go back to this promise and you say, you know what, God, you have promised that this Holy Spirit, you've promised that you search the heart and the mind of God and you give wisdom to us who need it. So I'm going to ask on a consistent basis for that wisdom. I'm going to ask that you make it really, really clear. For me, I have to ask it like this. I want you to be very, very clear because I am very, very dull. Okay, I, I, I need it to be very clear because I'm not the smartest person to figure it out. And God has promised as a good father to give good counsel. I love that. As a good father who would love to share good counsel with his kids, 
He says, I am that, and I want to give you that good counsel. So this morning, I pray that this week ahead of you, as you dive into this topic and into this passage again and again throughout this week, even in groups, you would take time to seek out that wisdom, and that you'd have others praying for you as well from community in that wisdom. Let me close in prayer, and then we'll finish up. God, we thank you this morning for truth. I thank you that you have not left us alone. Um, God, you could have done anything you wanted, and in your sovereign plan, hidden in ages before us, you said the best thing would be to give us wisdom that was from the Spirit. And so I thank you for that. I thank you for the relational side of who you are in us. And so, Father, I pray that us as a church, as we move forward into this year, you would give us, the leaders, elders, wisdom in how we move into this new year. I pray for us as a body, that individually, corporately in our groups, that you would give us wisdom as we move forward, knowing that it is always available to us. We thank you for being a relational God. We thank you that you're a good father. We thank you that you're a good coach. And we thank you for knowing the best thing for us even when it's not clear for us. God, we thank you this morning, and uh, we pray that if there are those who do need wisdom this morning, maybe they're in a decision that they don't really know what to do, I pray that this morning um, they would find help here uh, in those in their group or even those here in the building about that decision, and we would pray together about it and make it clear. God, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.